Hey, where are the white women at? But how did he get down to his underwear that fast? We'll just have to take these pants off so that I can take a closer look. Still others evolved so much, they don't even need to wear pants. Welcome back to Cartoon Casual episode. We have a special guest today. I like how you say welcome back when this is the beginning of the episode. It's welcome back because people are coming to the show again, whether we want them to or not. And if this is your first time, we'll be gentle. Exactly. Special guest. We have a special guest. We can't believe he decided to show up. I I, (laughs) make it sound like Mr. Hinckley likes to cancel on people. No. No, that's uh, not what I'm saying at all. I can't believe he graced us with your presence. I I feel like the Pope visiting. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Hinckley. The famous Jim Hinckley. The world famous Jim, Jim Hinckley. World traveler, historian. Uh, Rooted six specialist. Ladies man. Uh, 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 un- <laughs> unwanted in 12 states. Unwanted in 12 states. <laughs> wanted for arrest in three. But world renowned, famous Route 66 historian. That kind of summed it up. Is that fair? But before we go any farther, is it yeah. Route 66 or Route 66? Yeah, please tell Yes. Me. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. yeah, well, when people say tomato, I correct them and say, no, it's well, tomato. It's like, it's like a, the, the state there north of Arkansas. Some people call it Missouri, and I was always Missouri. told it's Missouri. 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 Uh, I, my grandfather said Missouri. When I would emulate my grandfather, my grandmother, and literally every other woman in the family would say, don't speak like him. <laughs> so, But he also said Arkansas. So, because he refuses to pronounce it differently than Kansas. So, either I'm going to call it Kansas or Arkansas. <laughs> One or the other. It works. So, Route 66. That's I prefer it. Root. Yeah, that's the way it is. I also don't say Root or Crick. I don't, I've never said that. I, you're from the South. I know. Well, okay. I know. I've never said that, though. Mm-hmm. Just saying. So, so Jim, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> Here's the deal. Everybody knows how fantastically knowledgeable you are about the history of this road, and Kingman in particular as well, and everywhere else along from Chicago to Los Angeles, but not a lot of people know really about you, and that's what I want to know. Where are you from? Yeah. North Carolina. Where? Where in North Carolina? Moorhead City. Okay. It's far, I know I've been there. Yeah. As far east as you can go without getting your feet wet. Okay. So you were born, uh, how long would you, what's the history with that there? And then what, you just give a little bit of background. Oh, well, my dad was military, Coast Guard at the time. He'd gotten out of the Navy, decided that he still liked the military and wanted the money. So he got into the Coast Guard. Okay. And we were in Moorhead City and then uh, we moved up to Norfolk. Virginia, then Port Huron, Michigan. Just big Navy stuff. Yeah, there, Coast course, Guard. Huge. My dad yeah. was on the lakes yeah. quite a few years. Yeah. And then uh, my dad was uh, World War II and all the way through Navy and Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. 19, you can cue the Twilight Zone music if you have any rights on that. But uh, my dad in 1966 got out of the service, literally threw a dart at a map. It was Yucca, <laughs> Arizona. Oh, and that's how we ended up in Kingman. That's a true story. That's I'll honest. That's yeah. <laughs> My dad had had enough of the coast, and he folded a map so there was no coastal areas, and he threw a dart, and it was right Yucca, Arizona. Kingman was the closest, and that's like, that's I kind, love it. That's a similar story how I ended up here, but it wasn't a dart, but it was a big map and xing things off, and then kind of focusing it. But so it was not really a dart. It wasn't really a dart. <laughs> but, at all. but there was a map involved. I know my grandfather at one point in time wanted to come back here because he actually uh, helped do some of the surveying for the Army Airfield. He was in the Corps of Engineers during World War II. 
and said, I, I'd like to go back to Kingman. Mentioned it to one brother who decided to, once he got married, decided to look out west. California, even for him at that point in time, the 50s was too expensive. So my great aunt and uncle moved here in uh, the early 60s. Just decided to put roots down in Kingman. And then 20, or excuse me, 30 years later, I, I show up. I, I always felt that was rather odd. So in 66 is when you came to Yucca. Well, we moved to Kingman. In 66? Yeah, summer of 66. So it's, that's, so there you go. I mean. Also, my grocery bill earlier today, buying snacks, whatnot for here, it came out to $66. How about that? Just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> More Twilight Zone music. It wasn't, it wasn't just enough that we moved out here, but uh, my dad had bought some property sight unseen, one of those Arizona boondoggles. And it was along Oatman Road, which was the pre-52 alignment of Route 66. Okay. So I learned to ride a bicycle on Route 66 and learned to drive trucks on Route 66. Fantastic. My first paying job was for Ed Edgerton up at Ed's Camp. Wow. The Ed yeah. from Ed's Camp. You betcha. Are you familiar with Ed's Camp? I've heard, well, yes. You, you can, it looks like a ramshackle bunch of buildings off to the right-hand side as you're coming up to head it up to Sitgreaves Pass. Up okay. On, okay. On what is that? Would it be the Eastern Slope? Okay. That Thank you. No, ring a bell? no, I, I'm I not going to talk just, about I, things I, I, I didn't go there. When I was a history nerd, I yeah. just I like that. So it was uh, he did wait, Ed Ed's camp was the, the, the he operated the uh, uh, it wasn't like a trolley system, it was like a winch system for the car the cars that couldn't make it up. No, no, that or was, was that uh, prior to yeah, that was uh, uh, N R Dutton over at Gold Road, and he had a towing service, actual tow truck, take people over the pass. No, Ed was just a. Uh, but Ed, Ed's story was kind of really interesting. He uh, came out here about 1919 from Michigan. The Buick, by the way, that he drove out here, uh, or excuse me, Oldsmobile that he drove out from Michigan in 1919 is still laying out there at Ed's camp along Oatman Road, what's left of it. Wow. But he came out here like a lot of people to, to make some money in the mines, and he quickly learned the only people who make money with mining is the mine companies. And uh, he squatted there at Ed's camp. Ed's camp was actually, if you look at the uh, – trailer court section you'll see a big archway that has an lm on it it was little meadows there was an artesian well there and uh, father garces in 1776 camped there and noted it and it was a, a, a camping place for people on the national old trails road and ed he set up camp there he's broke trying to figure out what to do next and he hatched up an idea he went to the owner's essential commercial talked him in the front of him some money got him some 50 gallon drums of gasoline and put them on oversized cross pieces and used a siphon hose to fill up people's tank and it just started escalating from there he started uh it put in a screened in cabin and for a dollar you could have a screened in place to sleep and free water and then uh, became a pickwick station uh, pickwick bus line station and after about six years of this ed decided he had a real revelation he decided you know i probably should purchase this pop property instead of just squat on it he didn't even own it. He just pretended he did, <laughs> pretended he did, and it kept the overhead to a minimum. So the, these campsites that we all have uh, visions of Route sixty six, and you go through old books and you see photographs and and uh, of people camping or driving or wa whatever, even during the Dust Bowl eras and all that. But these camp places, I mean, how busy were they? Were they on on the average night? Was it a lot of people or just one or two? So I know it varies, but I mean, no, it was, are they active? Like when we it was, they were very active. Uh, there was a, in a lot of the communities. Kingman <clears throat> was one down on uh, 
South Front Street, which is now Topeka. They had a free campground. A lot of cities would put in free campgrounds because they know the people would stay and spend money. But to give you just a rough idea of the kind of traffic, uh, I think it was 38 on uh, that uh, section of Route 66 through Sitgreaves Pass. The Arizona Highway Department uh, did a traffic study, and it was an average of 2,000 cars a day. Wow. And then after the war, you can double that. I was going to say 1938. Yeah. It was it was starting to kind of ramp up a little bit. And then after I, I I was I did a little bit of research just so I kind of knew what I was talking about today. And I I read <laughs> Thank from you for doing something different. 19. Shut it. Thank you. 19 <laughs> was it 1915 to 1930? You went from half a million automobiles in the in the United States to like 12 million or something like that. Yeah, that's a real interesting period of time from roughly 1885 to 1930. And I don't have the exact numbers, uh, but uh, 1909, we produced something like uh, 2.5 million horse-drawn vehicles and right around 400,000 automobiles. And by 1929, Ford Motor Company alone had produced 1,400,000 automobiles. And wow. we were only produced 18,000 horse-drawn vehicles. And another little thing my dad always said, better to fill your head with useless knowledge than no knowledge at all. And if this comes up on Jeopardy and you guys make any money, don't yeah. forget me. But okay. uh, <laughs> three, you'll uh, have all the funding you need. If I if there's a Route 66 just category, I'll just <laughs> smile, wink at the camera, and then destroy that category, and you'll get half of it. I, I promise. Uh, three out of five Americans in 1920 owned an automobile, but only two in five had indoor plumbing. Well, the car is very. That's important. a great factoid. I like <laughs> yeah, that. It is. And some out in this area still don't have plumbing. It's true. I'm just saying. They're squatting a, a place and doing other stuff. And it's amazing. It's not going to be wrapped into the whole thing. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, so you moved here in 66. I-40 went online in 1980 completely. Is that well, correct? No, well, no. Well, 100%. I know I had read the last stretch. The last stretch of 66, it was official was uh, in Williams area, correct? 1985. 1985. So yeah. that was like the last bit that was gone. Williams was the last community bypassed. Do you do you remember? I mean, I know you were uh, presumably young in 1966 when you moved here. Uh, do, do you recall the death of some of those towns? And, and, oh, yeah. And, and I'm, I know through digging through... Uh, Digging for me to read into the past and read about it is one thing. For you to have been alive while it happened... And now be this uh, Route 66 historian. Uh, it's what, what's it like looking back from the future, from where you are now, and looking back on the changes, and then also kind of living through them in one of the towns. Well, Route 66, when it was the road, it was it was not a lot of fun. It was an absolute nightmare. You know, of course, they bypassed the Oatman Road in 52, but picture you know three, four, five thousand cars a day rolling through Truxton and Peach Springs. It was a nightmare. Oh, I'm sure. Now that I think about it, and it, it actually, in reading about it a little bit, was the the dated infrastructure at the time. I know Eisenhower was was kind of responsible with having seen what the Germans had done with the autobahn, kind of wanting to push that here. And also, some story about him getting stuck trying to in when he was still in the military, guys getting stuck on roads, going, "We we need to do this. Military mobilization will not happen in this country unless we improve our road system." And I know. I grew up in Ohio, um, right along Route 36, if you're U.S. Route 36, if you're familiar. 
uh, and seeing how inadequate that road still is to this day, how it's two lane and they still run trucks. There's multiple trucking companies just in like a 20 mile stretch. There's about 12 major trucking companies. And it's, I can only imagine what route 66 was like back then, just knowing what it's like in the Midwest now with two lane uh, or like uh, um, the Midwestern equivalent to route 66 was uh, uh, us road 25 a that ran from Michigan to um, uh, Michigan to Florida to Key West. And that runs right through my hometown. And it's still just two lane highway, but it's still the alternative to Interstate 75. So trucks and military this and so on and so forth. So 66, like you said, it must have been just a nightmare. When when was it completed, uh, paved all the way through? 1936. 1936, paved all the way through in 36. That's that's, That's phenomenal. Well, the whole thing, when uh, I just finished uh, the book, I just finished, I was writing about the dark side of Route 66, and I found some articles written in 1957, uh, and it was a record year for traffic fatalities in the state of Arizona, and 85% of all traffic fatalities in the state were on Route 66. (laughs) Oh, um, that's... um that is dark. What is the name of that book? Bloody 66. I love it. Is this published? Is it? No, I just sent it yet? off to the publisher. It'll be out this fall. Fantastic. So there's no shortage of content for this book. As oh, I, no. You, you had to really filter it down, probably. I did. I, but I didn't focus just on that. I got into natural disasters, uh, serial killers, unsolved murders, uh, you know, the, the, the highlights. <laughs> the key points <laughs> i love it it actually sounds like the uh, are you familiar with the uh death in the national park series no there's a uh, death in the canyon death in yellowstone death in yosemite well, and it's a, all the all it, of the yeah the grand canyon's a famous the grand uh, canyon one is is well known. i love yeah, it yeah. but it goes it goes it's basically every uh known death in each one of the national parks it's a very dark book series but i'm fascinated by it that sounds like a great it, book series where, I wonder it, where you sell that you sell it like morticians conventions that um it's all over the place around the grand canyon it really is every any, any gas station and yeah every gas station and uh quartermaster depot any place where you would buy anything that would take you in or out of the grand canyon and then any bookstore in flagstaff carries it same with i I had a hiking adventure there a number of years ago with a with a woman who i thought was really not going to make it it's a very bad story but i was i was thinking did you know she wasn't going to make it before you started hiking in paul because that's no i (laughs) didn't she should have got suspicious when he said sign here where it says beneficiary yeah exactly that part hasn't come to light i'm just telling you that was where is that woman? That, uh, cottonwood, I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, um, as she was driving in an ambulance to the hospital, I was thinking about this book, The Death in the Canyon, because I thought she's going to be on the list. She's going to be on gonna the be list. Next. The revised edition yeah, the, later on down the road. 2016 version. Terrible. Uh, that, seriously, that's what I was thinking of. It was because everyone is listed in there. Anyhow. So uh, what awful. else What else is in this this book, The I'm sorry, what is it called again? Uh, Bloody 66. Bloody 66. Yeah, I, I got into the National Old Trails Road as well as Route 66 and uh, turned up some just absolutely... Uh, we have a tendency when we think of Route 66 in that era, but we have a tendency to think in uh, the terms of I like Ike Buttons, Ozzy and Harriet, uh, tail fins, and neon. And it, it was never like that. People have always been people. But uh, some of the things, that how dark some of the things were, was was pretty disturbing uh 
Uh, and of course, the segregation situation was. I another was just going to ask you about that. If you did, is there a bit in there about the sundown towns? Oh yeah, like most that? definitely. And there's even worse than that. We had some uh, just absolutely incredible race riots. They just put up a monument in uh, Tulsa uh, two years ago, what they called Black Wall Street. It was an extremely prosperous uh, African American area, and. Uh, they, race right there. The whites came in and they literally burned the place they down. They literally firebombed it. Yeah. Okay. This is thousands of people died. I just, I didn't even know anything about this. This is, again, what's wrong with history education in America is we don't hear about that stuff. It's well, too glossed over. And I just read that story maybe, maybe three days ago. Yeah. And there was others. There was Springfield, East St. Louis, there was one that was even worse. Uh, but there was things like uh, the, the Green Book for the Negro Motorist. Uh, Mr. Victor Green wrote. It was published from 36 until like 61, 62. And uh, there's something like there in Kingman, you know, a lot of Kingman's not alone in this, but a lot of communities don't realize the value of some of the historic properties they have and how to market and capitalize on that. Um, authentic Route 66 motels, the World Monuments Fund listed those as some of the most endangered historic, modern historic properties. Kingman has a, just a plethora uh, we lost the Bells Auto Court, but we have motels in Kingman from 1929 up into the late 60s that fit that category. The rarest of all are the pre-war motels. We have two, the, uh, three actually, the White Rock Court, uh, the Arcadia, and the El Trovero. I should say the fourth is the Siesta Motel. And then even rarer than that is the original auto courts. They're the ones that still have the little garages between the rooms mm -hmm. because in the 50s, that was a wasted space, so they filled it in and they made extra motel rooms. The White Rock Court in Kingman still has its... Uh, Where is the White Rock Court? It's on Andy Devine next to the Arcadia Lodge. But what makes it even... Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I know, I know right what you're talking about. Okay. What makes it even more rare, it's the only property in Kingman that was listed in the Green Book for the Negro Motorist. Hmm. It was the only motel in Kingman uh, up until at least the late 50s that would uh, provide lodging for African Americans. Wow, that is that that right that alone should it should warrant being on the national registry and yeah mm -hmm. if it's if it isn't already which it's could not. be why it's it's not no have you ever if you ever um, worked towards getting something on the national historic registry yourself have you ever no I've worked with some people that have like Bill Schilling and things okay. but I've never done it myself so I wonder what the process is like I was just kind of curious if you've been involved with that you know, no we we've got a lot of properties that we could stick on there. Uh, at my age, it's hard for me to think of, and I was just writing a piece tonight on some uh, properties from the 60s that are being put on the register, and it, it, it brings you up short that I really am that old. You know, that thing's the... <laughs> What what did you what did you do for uh, a, a living? We really when you were younger here, what were you doing? Oh, I was, well, I was a resource reclamation engineer. Uh, I found creative ways to gather aluminum cans along the highway. Um, <laughs> resource reclamation engineer. engineer. I was really intrigued by. I wonder what agency he worked for. He worked for the Hinckley Association. <laughs> I uh, I drove trucks for a while. I had a John Wayne period. Worked a lot of the ranches here and down along the Mexican border, and then uh, I worked the mines, uh, underground and open pit for quite a while. Did you work our famous copper mine here? Did you? Were you no, I didn't home? work at Duval, but uh, there was another one. that was kind of a boondoggle, but um, out by Bull Mountain, uh, the Feldspar mine. I worked up there. And then there was uh, north of that the old juniper mines, uh, Carl Jathro episode. Uh, I got I got into that. It was a big tax deal, and it got it just got really bizarre. It was right out of eighteen eighties, and uh, 
When you're a kid, you just don't have enough sense to pour pee out of a boot with directions on the heel. You just don't. <laughs> and I was making money hand over fist, but you talk about a crazy job. We were going into an old drift, an abandoned tunnel, and uh, it was a four-by-six tunnel. And my job was to, to, with this other crew was to, to widen it out to a 10-by-12 tunnel. And that meant you go in there with a bobcat, a chain, and a chainsaw, and you cut out the old timbers, you pull them out, and then you start, you blast to set the timbers. Sounds completely bucket. safe and reasonable. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to rethink leaving KRMC. Like, I, I think, I think oh, my job is great. And then I, I, I did some other things. I drove trucks for a while, uh, long haul and short haul, worked for Navajo Freight Lines and some other companies. And, and uh, somehow it seemed like a good idea at the time. I tried rodeo for a while and. I figured out that was God's way of eliminating crazy people. It was a oh, oh yeah. It was a good living if you didn't plan on living long. And <laughs> so I gave that up for Lent, and uh, and I tried 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 being a mechanic for a while, and just about anything people would pay me to do. Interesting. Now I don't know if you remember this or not, but I worked with you at sixty six Auto when it was still at uh, Swanee's. I was a lot porter when you were still working at the, the rental desk. Yeah, I ran yeah. the rental, and then I ran the Penske truck leasing for him there. Right, right. That That's wasn't right. that long ago. Is that true? You weren't there that l- How long were you were, were at Swan? Oh, about 11, 12 years. Because I remember when I first got here visiting, was about 10 years ago or so. I remember maybe it was you working at a desk at Swanee's. Yeah. And there was some historic stuff in this office. That was me, yeah. It might have. Okay, I remember this now. Yeah, I was the guy that it, okay. it just kept getting worse and worse, and we won't go into details oh, on no. that. But, yeah. but uh, it's it's one of, I've had several of these jobs where you develop eye trouble. You can't see any reason to put up with the bull, and they can't see any reason to put up with your attitudes. So, so just how, ways. Did, did you becoming a, a really an, an absolute expert on Route sixty six and the history behind all this? Is this something that just evolved over time, and then you realize that by golly, I know more than anybody knows about this. I'm going to do something with it. Or was it intentional? No, it's uh, it's like everything I do. I just seem to fall into things sometimes, like interviews <laughs> with Jay Leno and odds and ends. But no, I uh, Route 66 to me was just a road. And uh, I actually, my first writing, my professional writing, was uh, I started working on the American auto industry from 1885 to 1945. I've always been into you know the old cars and odds and ends, and that was my first writing. I was associate editor for Cars and Parts magazine until they went out of business, and then I wrote for Hemmings and some other publications. And there's there's quite a lot of overlap, you know, in the sure. two. For example, the the 19, uh, 1914 Desert Classic automobile race from Los Angeles to Phoenix on the National Trails Road came through Kingman, Oatman, and you had Lewis Chevrolet, Barney Oldfield, you know, all these boys. So there was quite an overlap. And increasingly, people would ask me about Route 66, so I started writing, and and I started doing travel books in general. I was told for years and years before I started writing that I had a gift for telling people where to go, so I started putting this together, and that's just... And it just evolved, and here we are. Yeah, for better or for worse. Uh, My goal is really simple. Uh, I've decided that I want to become a writer when I grow up, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what I'm working towards. Good. Fantastic! I hope you get there. It makes two of us. <laughs> so, how many how many books have you have you or how many say published things have you? The book read? I just finished is book number nineteen. Wow. Okay. And I've written about uh, twenty four hundred feature articles. Rather prolific, I would say. 
And you've been to... That's an understatement. Just the biggest, biggest understatement on this podcast ever. Yeah, no, I'm just... <laughs> yeah, okay, sure. Okay. I'll go with that. Yeah. Because this is... Um, and I've never known... I'm glad you're here for this because I've just never known your history and how all this evolved. And I don't know... I, can we safely say there's nobody else really that knows as much as you do oh, that's in the public light about this? That really... There's, there's some other famous historian that... There's a lot. Route 66 is a very unique animal. And I'm smart enough to realize the more I learn, the more I realize how little I know. Mm. And uh, Route 66 is truly is is uh, it's almost difficult to describe. But there's some a lot of people out there with a great deal of knowledge, and they're very free with sharing it. We work together on a lot of projects. It's it's really Route 66 is almost like America's longest small town. Mm. It's it's uh, quite an amazing deal. That is a perfect soundbite, and that's a that's a postcard. Everything. It's also the title for one of my books. Oh, there you go. See, oh. that, that shows yeah, I, I, I knew it sounded your, familiar. It was too good not to happen. <laughs> so, but but it is true because if you look, there's I, from what I understand, almost every town that's still along Route 66, they all have their own kind of little spin on things, but they're all we're all very similar. Yeah, in experience to a certain degree. There's only a handful of communities that have really tapped into the full potential of Route 66 as a catalyst for economic development, revitalization, things of that nature. Kingman is starting to wake up, but uh, there's only a handful of communities, uh, Illinois in general, but uh, like Pontiac and, and uh, Atlanta, Illinois, they've managed to sell everything on the hog, including the squeal. <laughs> And it's worked out well for them. I, you know, it's it's doing. Oh my gosh! Really well. Yeah, very well. The uh, little Atlanta, Illinois, they had uh, double digit uh, increase in sales tax revenues for a couple of years in a row. Holy cow! Wow. And they're, they're they're close to that again. Wow. That's that's fantastic. And it's a town of about eighteen hundred people. Now, are they getting a lot of the same type of tourists that we get around here that are uh, European? Because uh, I know that the Europeans they have they love. They love Route 66, but the they also desert. love the desert in the Southwest. So yeah. I wonder if the Midwestern communities are getting the same kind of traffic like we get here. Would well, you, to, to a degree. That's one of my frustrations with a lot of the communities in the Southwest because we have a 12-month tourism season. And these communities back there, like, uh, they're again, Atlanta, Illinois, and two or three years ago, they had over 120,000 people sign their guest book. And they've got a nine- And they did it in three months, they've got a months. Yeah, they've got a nine-month yeah. tourism season at most. Uh, so I get a little frustrated with that because the Southwest is a huge draw, and you link that with Route 66, and it's very big. But Route 66 today is probably more exciting and dynamic than any time in its history. <laughs> I have no doubt, especially given the you, you run you know, into things the bloody it's, 66 and whatnot. Well, it's the road of dreams. It always has been. Route 66 is not our most historic or scenic highway, but it's always had the best press and publicity, and. Uh, it's amazing what's happened on this road. You run into people that uh, there was a, a foot race back in 1928-29. It was a transcontinental race. They called it the sports writers called it the Bunyan Derby. They, they literally <laughs> ran uh, from Los Angeles to Chicago and then on to New York. And uh, it became a huge story, international press story. There was a $20,000 prize in this. So in 1928-29, that attracted international marathon runners and everybody. 
And there was a, a, a little Indian boy, a Cherokee boy from uh, Foyle, Oklahoma, which is the Route 66 community. And he got into this. He got the, the community, pulled the money, and entered this boy in the race. Uh, he started out with no shoes, literally mm. running this without shoes. And he got a company to give him shoes. And, and it become a huge media sensation. By the time they got to Oklahoma, he was leading the pack. And wow. he went on and won this race. Well, you fast forward to now the modern era. I met a Japanese fella who was married to a gal from Taiwan. And they have a restaurant, a Route 66 cafe in Taiwan. He really got into Route 66. Well, he's an ultra marathon runner. For his 48th birthday, he decided to recreate the Bunyan Derby and run Route 66. <laughs> oh, wow. People are dedicated to this. It's amazing. I mean, it really is. It's still amazing. I hear all these stories, but I hear more, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes. Well, right now, there's Route 66 associations in almost a dozen countries that organize active events and tours. There's tour companies that I work with in five countries that specialize in Route 66 tours. Most of them have a southwestern component, the Grand Canyon, you know, Monument Valley, things mm -hmm. of that nature. But it's uh, the, the the potential for tapping into that is just the the successes like for Pontiac and uh, uh, what was the other uh, Atlanta uh, Atlanta I was going to say America whatever Atlanta is it um, can it be attributed to the, to the city itself also putting horsepower behind it or is it individuals that really made it work or, or what would you well both uh, it, it really takes both but you've got to ultimately have the city behind it mm -hmm. and. Um, that's that's a lot of communities just don't have mm -hmm. cuba missouri is another that's done remarkably well a uh, galena kansas is an incredible success story i was just reading an article today they've uh, raised another just pile of money got grants uh they started a route 66 walk of fame type deal raised about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars with it and galena is a poster child for a town that has no chance in hell was a city behind this or was it well, it started out simple. Uh, Galena, to back the trolley up a bit, was at the center of one of the nation's largest uh, lead and, and lead mining districts. Are you familiar with Pitcher, Oklahoma? It uh, was condemned by the government. Everybody bought out. It's a talk, super fun cleanup site. Okay. There was the whole city. The whole city. Oh, and wow. Galena is a couple miles away, and it was marginal whether they were going to pull us, <laughs> you know, be bought out. Uh, the town is so big in... Uh, like 1920, they had over about 36,000 people. Population now is about 3,500. Uh, one section of town up where the old uh, Eagle Pitcher uh, lead smelter's at is a toxic, super fun cleanup site. Uh, they just had a fella renovate the uh, Green Parrot Bar, which was in a big two-story brick building. And he was only open about six months. And a mine shaft nobody knew about opened up, and the whole building sank in the oh, ground. No. Oh, uh, so so this is a town that's just seriously. No, no, it it no, sounds no. like a town too tough to die. Actually, uh, it started a little out bit. though. A couple people, Renee Charles and uh, Melba Riggs, and uh, their sister-in-law, the two sisters, Melba and Renee, and then a sister-in-law. They bought a Canex, an old abandoned gas station on the edge where there's a three-way stop sign coming in from Missouri, and they bought this gas station. And they painted it, put flowers, gas pumps, and started selling T-shirts and hot dogs and Cokes. Renee, or uh, Melba, she's called the Mouth of the South. She got herself an umbrella uh, and an ice chest full of water and sat out there by the stop sign, waving at people and giving them water and talking to them. <laughs> the, the next year, the mayor started noticing they had tour buses there. And that sparked this whole situation. And, and the, the town now has, uh, it's incredible what they've done. They've... 
They have cleaned up, put in pocket parks. Uh, they just beat out Joplin for a state-of-the-art nursing and medical center. Wow. Uh, Cuba's even more dynamic. Uh, their, their industrial park there and their tourism, uh, they've got about a 70% retention rate of high school graduates in a rural community of about uh, 3,600 people. Uh, their in, industrial park is now the largest in four counties. So these successes you're talking about also, this is fairly recent stuff. It's, this is not... All in the last 15 years. Okay. All right. And some of these communities are overnight successes five years in the making instead of 30 years in the making. Right. They're, they're really you know pulling off things. And a lot of it, uh, like Pontiac, what they've done is they realize that, uh, like Bill Thomas uh, talks about, he says, not all economic development is tourism, but all tourism is economic development. And they've integrated the two in a hand-in-glove fashion. And it's a real simple premise. If you make a place people want to visit, you make it a place they want to live and open businesses, raise families, and God, retire. We, we have there's all this debate all the time on social network and whatever else about the tourism and breaking downtown or this or screw that. That's more people should live here. But what he's saying is the truth. If you it, it is absolutely visit there and you visit, I would not mind coming here and living. Yeah, if it looks like it's a nice place to tour, and eventually it kind of flows over and bleeds into more growth that way. But there's you know, our, our town's got its own little problems and issues and stuff. But I mean, there's all this discussion about what to sure. do and and everything. And, and uh, tourism is huge here, and it's it's getting better. The town's getting better. But I just wanted to compare and to know what's going on, how involved the cities are, and what they realize they have. And and then, uh, but like the one example you gave was the one people the people that started gathering folks yeah. and interest, and then the tour, but then the mayor noticed. And they obviously noticed enough to where they were going to make a difference and step in a little bit. Well, Pontiac is really incredible. Pontiac is a, is a typical Rust Belt small town, about 12,000, 13,000 people. And the, real, the only thing they really had going for them was a state prison north of town and um, a beautiful historic district. They've got an 1880s courthouse. But they were running, I believe it was 2004, their historic business district. They were running a little over 90% uh, vacancy rate. And uh, now they've got less than a 1%. I just talked to Bob Russell last week. They're setting at less than a 1% vacancy rate for their business district. And they're they're getting all kinds of this uh, Holiday Inn just as uh, opened a hotel and convention center there. Another hotel's breaking ground. Are they having to, are the municipalities having to entice financially some of these places or just market it and clean them up make it more inviting what what is some of the key here is it it's it depends on the community the, the thing is you don't want to become myopic and just focus on route 66 route 66 is just the low-hanging fruit mm-hmm. for example here in kingman you have route 66 and the southwest to you know to capture for your tourism mm-hmm. but uh it's it's a combination of things. You use Route 66 to magnify the assets of your community, and each community is unique and different. But one of the things is a marketing network. We have an incredible opportunity with Route 66 because we have an international marketing network already in place. In, you, without even wanting it. Yeah, without even, <laughs> without even really t- tapping into it, yeah. you have it. But uh, Pontiac's just done some incredible things. They did a real, the city got behind a very aggressive uh, mural program. They did, I believe it was 50 murals in 30 days. Uh, Well, wow. Hey, Paul, how long have you been working on that mural? Stand by. (laughs) (laughs) But the amazing stories and things that's happened uh, in in Pontiac, Mayor Bob Russell and before him, Mayor Scott McCoy were two of the uh, real leaders in this. But uh, I won't even try to insult the fellow by mispronouncing his name, but there's a Chinese 
airbrush mural artist. He had a, a studio in Shanghai and uh, a school and studio. People from all over the world came to study with this fella, and he heard about Pontiac. So he flew to Chicago, drove to Pontiac, spoke no English, using Google Translate on the phone. Bob Russell commuted to talk to the guy. They worked together. They got Illinois tourism involved. He relocated his studio from Shanghai to Pontiac, Illinois. Wow. Uh, the Society of Gilders, the Gold Gilders, mm -hmm. they just opened their official museum in Pontiac, Illinois. Wow. I may need to talk to you about this. Uh, tr tremendous. No, this now it's about me all of a sudden. Oh, the, is the it? mural oh, thing project down let, there. Let's pivot the, over to Paul. Main Street. Paul can't handle not being the center of no, attention. No, it's not true. <laughs> but it's, no, I think I really need to talk to you about some of the contacts in Pontiac about this mural project they did and, and how it came about. And some artists maybe because we're doing some things downtown right now. You know, we've got a great uh, artist that's wanting to come out this way. I just talked to him this afternoon, Ray Harvey. He's done a, some tremendous murals up and down Route 66 in different places in Missouri. And he was just working on a contract for uh, Mel's Drive-In in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. the Mel's Drive-In. The, the one, The yes. best chili omelet you'll ever have. Really? Yep, absolutely, 100%. You've obviously yep, partaken. Absolutely. It was... I went on a trip to L.A. First time I'd ever got to spend any time in L.A. It's like six, seven days. I had a friend that lived in the West Hollywood area. And I said, all right, here's a list of places I'm we're going to go to. The Sharon Tate house, which, yeah, I'm weird. It's fine. <laughs> uh, Venice Beach, the boardwalk, da, 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 and one of them was Mel's. Absolutely. Cool. You, have, you have to. Like, I don't so know. this person is doing that. Yeah. I have to look this up and see what their artwork looks oh, like. Oh, yeah, I'll get you the information. Okay, on thank you. I appreciate that. I spent four days in L.A. once, and then I got off the freeway. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I enjoy these success stories. It's fantastic. It's like watching a movie, you know, and the little guy wins or something. You know, it's, 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 I, I, I like hearing Route 66 that. is so amazing. There's other roads like 30 and 36. U.S. 6 is an amazing highway. Uh and a lot of the small towns have survived, but they don't have the vibrancy, the excitement that they do, which you get on this Route 66 community. Mm. And you have this international network, and it's it's just amazing what, what, what you're seeing in these communities. People from all over the world opening restaurants, uh, re restoring 1936 motels that are literal crack houses. Uh, you've got uh, just, just incredible things happening on the road. Uh, Mom-and-pop places are thriving. Uh, two of my favorites. There's the uh, Ariston Cafe in uh, Litchfield, Illinois. One family owned since 1926, and uh, the son runs it now. Same location since the 30s. Nothing's changed. His, his, the way he runs the place, the linen tablecloths, he's there every single day. In uh, Clanton, Oklahoma, there's a little cafe, with chicken fried steaks, just basic cobbler's coffee, 65-cent cup of coffee. One, Love it. <laughs> one family owned since 1927. Oh, and these wow. places are thriving. They tried opening a McDonald's down the street. It went out of business. They couldn't compete. <laughs> Good. It's good. good. Yeah, no, I love hearing I, I love hearing things like that. That's And I feel like there is more of a shift toward um, – smaller, less corporate, family-owned sure. type of businesses. And that's been in the maybe the past 10 years or so I've seen that. Well, the, I noticed that shift. Good local news we just we just have about the the people we know who just bought the the uh, the hotel Hilltop. It's the Hilltop. Hilltop oh hotel. Yeah, 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 Frank and, and McKenzie. Yeah, yeah. they they have you spoken with them at all I have. about mm -hmm. that? I, I was so happy. I was I was upset that I didn't uh, I was too cash poor to be able to buy it myself cuz I totally would have taken on that project. 
and then I was in, it, just exceedingly happy to see uh, Frank and Mackenzie. And, the, and their intentions are to it. restore, to, to get it back to its original state, I believe. Isn't that yeah. what they're doing? And they're trying to keep as many things that they can original as possible, from what I understand, with a lot of the pastel ceramic tiles in the bathrooms and things like that. Anything that they can keep original, they're going to keep as original as possible. And I love that. Yeah, that's really neat. I mean, it, 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 and that's happening all up and down the road. And some of these things, I, I got to be honest, I... I just am amazed that people pour money in restored some of these places because there's a few of them I wouldn't pee on if they were on fire. I mean, they're just that bad. Uh, the Campbell Hotel in Tulsa now is one of the leading boutique hotels in the city. And if you don't think there's hope for the Hotel Beale, uh, this hotel was opened in the 20s. The, the owners went broke in the 30s during the Depression. So the people who bought it next gutted it. The whole downstairs was taken out, converted to a supermarket. And then the upstairs was converted to offices. And it stayed that way for 60 years. And then it was abandoned for 10 years. And when the owners that have it now got a hold of the property, the pigeon droppings were two feet deep in the hallways upstairs. And it's now one of the leading boutique hotels in Tulsa. The R Hotel. You you guys did a broadcast from uh, the Beale? Yeah. The Beale, yeah. And I had never been inside there. And I think uh, uh, Jamie Steely had mentioned to me a while back that if I ever get a chance to go in there, you should. And I went, okay, I will. And then I saw your, and I, I was blown away by that place, what it was looked like on the inside, as far as the features and the, the ornament, potential ornamentation and the architectural. Everything's intact. Uh, most of the furniture, when they built the second edition on that, if you look at it, you can see it was built in two pieces. When they built the second part in 1918, they ordered all this new furniture, oak, heavy furniture. Mm-hmm. And there's two suites there, all that furniture is piled up. 90% of the 1918 furniture is there. Wow. Uh, the, de- wow. The, the the lobby desk and everything is still intact, perfectly with smoked glass. Right. I think I, there was a shot you someone did down. But yeah, but yeah, when you walk in there and all this this curved wood, yeah. that's what I love is the curved wood part that's still there, if I recall. And, and the, uh, the original, like you said, the glass is there, and it's all there. Just ready to be, what's a lot of money, somebody to come in and properly renovate. That would be fantastic. I would love to stay down there as much as I could if it were open, you know. Yeah, it, you know, what I envision for the downtown, it, it, I, we desperately need lodging downtown. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're, we're going to ever be big enough to, to accommodate two historic hotels. But picture the Brunswick as a nice, uh, kind of upscale boutique hotel. Everything downstairs, uh, the the, the uh, sportsman saloon renovated, and the other store shops as restaurants and microbreweries and things of that nature. And the Beale Hotel is nice upscale kind of condo apartments. Yeah, that would be a game changer for the historic district. Yeah, that would be. I be I would love to see that, and it would it. I want if whenever I can, I stay at the uh, Hotel Monte Vista in Flagstaff mm-hmm. as much as possible because I love. How old it is! I love how each room is themed with artists and, and and celebrities that have stayed in each room. My favorite is the Frank Sinatra suite because it has a twin bed and a queen bed. Nice. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's a, and it's a I've, corner suite. It's I've pretty been cool. there only, but sitting there, Lee, uh, what's his name, uh, the actor who was in uh, uh, whatever famous Lee Majors. War, no, no, <laughs> Lee Press on Nails. No, no, Lee. Lee uh, anybody. Anybody from the audience? Anybody? Do we have anybody in the audience that might know an actor with the first World name of War, Lee? World War II movies, and he's got a Lee Marvin. Thank you. Oh, 
Lee Marvin. Yeah, thanks a lot, Joe. Thanks a pant load. I'm sorry I was born in 1981. <laughs> Give me a break. <laughs> Are you really, really 1981? Yeah. I got socks that old. Yeah, I think Paul has a pair of pants that old, too. <laughs> what year did you graduate, Paul? Uh, about 81, yeah. <laughs> you remind me of that constantly. I just one of my favorite. You, you graduated in 81? 80, 81, I did. <laughs> Great. You guys I, are making me feel older by the well, minute. Uh, <laughs> I graduated from the womb in 81 into the real world, uh, <laughs> yes, kicking and screaming. You did. This is a good place to stop, Joe. Like, yeah, we should take a break, and I want to hear uh, about. We should definitely talk the about future, your, uh, what's going on. Yeah. yeah, what you're getting ready to do uh, here soon. So we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back. More with Mr. Hinckley.
back. Oh, with Jim back. Hinckley. And uh, off air, Mr. Hinckley was discussing uh, his friend Jay. <laughs> I don't know how much of a friendship that is, but that's it's a. Uh... If if you called him and said, "Jay, it's Jim Hinckley," you go, "Jim," and and he would <laughs> and he would know exactly who you are. I guarantee. You. Yeah, it's it's uh, my my association with Jay Leno kind of sums up my entire life. Every time my ship comes in, I'm down at the train depot, and uh, <laughs> it, it, this was pretty much the same thing. Uh, the short version is, uh, for years, I avoided Los Angeles. I would not go over Cajon Pass. I, I, I drew the line at Victimville and Hysteria. I wouldn't go any further. And uh, the rental company I was working at, they started selling some of my books. And there's a bookstore over in Burbank on Magnolia Boulevard. Been there since the 50s. And uh, it's really well known, and uh, they do uh, a cruise in on Saturdays. The car is a little, it's a real small little shop, but they get uh, the big boys. They have to do a book signing every Saturday to go with it, and they had Carol Shelby, you know, those kind of guys. And uh, I'd never been there, but I knew of the store. At that time, I was uh, associate editor for Cars and Parts magazine as a side job. And a uh, fellow broke down in Kingman, Arizona. And uh, rented a car. It was through the warranty program, and he bought one of my books. And he come back a couple days later, and he said, uh, "Do you know if they carry this book at Auto Books, Aero Books in Burbank?" I said, "I've got no idea." And he says, "Well, let, let me let me check." And he gets on his phone, he calls, and he calls Tina Van Curen, the owner. It happens to be his neighbor, huh. and he says, uh, "Yeah, yeah, they do. You want to talk to her?" So I talked to Tina on the phone, <laughs> okay. and she says, "You know, we would like to come over and do a book signing sometime." And yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in doing something like that. And and uh, so that's that's as far as it goes. And I, I let it go, and and about two months later on a Wednesday. She calls me up. She says, because I, I, they, they usually book their book signings six and eight months in advance. And uh, she calls me up and says, I had a cancellation this Saturday. Do you want to come over and sign some books? Yeah, I, I, I can do that. And, uh, and as it turns out, Friday, just before I left uh, for a Saturday morning book signing, my editor, uh, Brad Bowling from Cars and Parts Magazine, he calls me up and he says, uh, I got a, an assignment for you. Would you like to do an article on the Doble Steam Car? And I says, yeah, I, I can do that. I'm going to L.A. this weekend. And he says, oh, really? That's even better. There's a new museum opening over in El Segundo, the Automobile Driving Museum. And that turned out to be one of those things when you realize how old you really are, when mm -hmm. you go to a museum and see one of their prize exhibits as a low-mileage pacer. But anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> especially when you were working on those cars when they were new. I was thinking, like, oh, are there any high-mileage pacers? Yes. <laughs> Two. Two. <laughs> my, my father tells a kind of a similar story where he, he flew for Delta Airlines and we were at uh, 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 Mojave, California, kind of like we are here with a boneyard and they were parking 757s out there and, and chopping them up. And he was with Delta when they were brand new. You know, they were, he, they were brand new airplanes and now he's seeing his airplane being chopped up. He's going, oh no, <laughs> this can't be true. So, so what happened on this deal is... Uh, uh, I'm going to be covering them, opening this museum in El Segundo, and I want, he wants me to do an article on the Doble steam car. Now, in my childlike imagination, you know, I, I don't really still believe in the Easter Bunny, even though I, I do hedge my bet and check for eggs. Uh, I start doing some research on the Doble, and I find out there's only a handful of these Dobles left in the world, and the Jay Leno just bought one. 
And as a coincidence, when I'm, I'm reading, finding out that Jay had just bought a Doble, I find out that he's such a regular at this bookstore cruise-in on Saturdays that they reserve a space for him out front. Now, in my mind, I think that's too big of a coincidence. I'm going to uh, get to talk to Jay, and I'm going to get a great article on the Doble, and all these things are going to come together in a great package. Mm-hmm. I go over there, drive to Burbank, survive the traffic, uh, don't get lost too bad. Uh, find myself at the bookstore, sign books. I wait as long as I can because I'm supposed to drive over to El Segundo. No Jay Leno. And so I sign a copy of Cars and Parts magazine and leave a note that I'd hope to talk to you about your Doble. And uh, I let it go at that. And I go over to El Segundo and then I get back home on Monday. And my wife, uh, Judy, she says, I should listen to the answering machine. And it's Jay Leno on the answering machine. And he says, oh, I'm really sorry I missed you. Turns out that Jay showed up about 20 minutes after I left. Of course. Driving his new Doble steam car. Oh, oh man. Oh. So you can see where this is going. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's, you know, that's that. I don't, I just, you know, that's just one of those things that happens in life. And about six months later, his uh, the, his uh, press agent for the uh, at that time he was doing recording interviews in the garage. He had a book club, and uh, I had written a book on the Checkered Cab Manufacturing Company, and uh, then uh, the big book of car culture, which has got me into this whole thing. And uh, I get a call from him, and he says, uh, "Jay wants to know if you'd like to come over and do a book signing on your uh, book on the big book of car culture." Well, one thing leads, I can't get my schedule straight with Jay's and we go back and forth and it's about six months before I can, before I can do this. I called the publisher. We've got the date set. We've got a great promotional opportunity for this book. Publisher tells me and says, God bless. He says, that's great. I wish it would have happened a month ago. We just had a board meeting. We decided not to reprint and we've remanded all the books to Sam's Club. So now I'm going to be promoting a book that I don't even have to sell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I, I end up going uh, over to I'll go over to Jay's and uh, I remember that movie uh, Christmas Story where the kid got the uh, Annie Orphan decoder ring and he yeah. finds out it's just an advertisement for for the uh, for uh, uh, Ovaltine Ovaltine yeah well, drink more Ovaltine is like yeah I do I do recall this yes so I get all I get all excited I, I'm going over to Jay's garage and uh, he, he I've got directions and I've got the gate code like you gave me for mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, boy, I'm just, you know, like in this anti-orphan club thing, just going great. Mm-hmm. And I pull up to the gate and apparently they can't remember the gate number. It's scratched in the side of the box. And I thought, well, that's <laughs> real exclusive. <laughs> and I, I do this interview with Jay and then he says I wanted to do one on the uh, Checker Cab Manufacturing Company. Mm-hmm. And he asked if he was one of the five people that bought the book. <laughs> I told him no. He was one of the six people who bought the book, and uh, you know, we, we, I, everything is great. It's kind of neat. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and God, he turns me loose in his garage, and you know, things of that nature. And he's running around like a chicken; his head cut off. He's he's doing a Ford commercial and all kinds of things at the same time, back to back, one after the other. And uh, so I let things, you know, that's the, the end of the story, basically. And then about uh, two months later, three months later. About 9 o'clock on a Sunday night, Jay Leno calls me just out of the blue. And he says, you know uh, that uh, clear uh, plexiglass-bodied 1940 Pontiac from the World's Fair? I says, I thought you might want to know I bought that. Well, I got to go. And he hangs up. Hey, remember that? And then it just click. Then he called. It's funny because it sounds like stories I've heard of certain comedians um, 
George Carlin would do that to, um, oh man, we were just talking about him yesterday. It just passed. One of your favorite Larry Sanders show. What's his name? Oh, uh, Gary uh, Shandling. Gary, yeah. Gary Shandling would get phone calls late at night. Like specifically, I just heard a little monologue. He was Gary Shandling was talking about, you know, George Carlin would call him and say, Hey, you know what's uh, messed up about that? And then give a punchline and then just hang up on him. <laughs> and, and out of nowhere. And Jay's called me. I don't have a contact phone now. I have a, a, a drop phone, you know, situation and a drop address. But and then he'll call me up, uh, you know, a year later and t- we'll talk for an hour on steam engines. And uh, which he has, I know, at least three well, d- uh, stationary, yeah, uh, the stationary engines because I've seen, I've watched. Uh, three different episodes of uh, Jay Leno's Garage on YouTube about those. And I think I've seen the one where he talks about the Doble once it's running uh, because he bought it not running, correct? Well, it was and how, then it, had it, it repaired. Yeah, it had belonged to Howard Hughes. He does mo- a lot of his own mechanical work. Right. Everything has a great machine shop there. Uh, but he'll call me up and we'll talk the cars. And he shows up for a lot of my – about once a year I do a book signing at this store in Burbank. And uh, like that picture I showed you with my wife, he uh, generally shows up a lot of my book signings over there. But uh, it's just a real strange kind of relationship. And one, one of the times I was over there for a book signing, he showed up with his doble. And he, he was j- joked with me. He says, I guess it's too late for you to do this article. And I says, well, yeah, since uh, that was four years ago and the magazine's gone out of business. But, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's how that, and that sums up my whole life. That's, I just wander into these things. Just, just constantly. When you're making too, making too much effort in one direction, and then you could just wander into it. So yeah. just let it, let it happen. Let it go to chance. So uh, speaking of, you're going to Europe shortly in August, correct? Yep, second European Route 66 festival, which is phenomenal. And what will you actually be doing there? Will you be Promoting Route 66 more of like, or it will be more of informational purposes. Will we be on a panel? Are you going to be interviewed? Well, you meeting we, heads of state? Well, yeah, I, I, there, there were some plans for that too. Uh, what we did is we backed this up to 2014. We had the uh, Route 66 International Festival in Kingman. I recall, and it was amazing. We had the conferences down at the county chambers, and that was the first time in history that we had all the international representatives from the Route 66 associations in one place. And we started having some discussions about a European Route 66 festival. And so we managed to do that in 2016 in Ofterding in Germany. And at that festival, we uh, facilitated creation of a Route 66 international advisory group to coordinate promotion and marketing on the Route 66 corridor. And we started talking about development of an annual Route 66 tour, which we uh, the first one took place in Kingman this uh, May 15th. We had the big event downtown. Uh, with the Route 66 tours. So I'll be making a presentation on Route 66. I've helped facilitate uh, creation of an information booth there at the event. And uh, the uh, the DVDs, the videos that Steve and I developed, we'll be showing those there, the mm-hmm. Kingman area DVDs and videos. <clears throat> those will be shown there. And, and where, where is this going to be? Where, where specifically? Uh, Zlin, Z-L-I-N, in the Czech Republic. Okay. And um, this is the European. This is the bit for all the saying the big. This is the big one. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's going to be quite an event. Uh, I know that there'll be representatives and tour companies uh, from uh, Belgium, Czechoslovakia, Germany, Norway. Tron Moberg will be there from Norway. Uh, we've got the UK Route 66 Association, the Italian, the French. 
Mm-hmm. We'll all be there. Do they have? Do they bring? I assume they've got some American vehicles that come around with all this. Is this a popular thing to do? Yeah, it was when I went to the festival in Ofterdingen. It was almost surreal. It was such an American event, a celebration of America, mm-hmm. that I could have been in Galena, Kansas, or Kingman, Arizona. That they had a very good band playing Western music, and when they weren't playing, they were playing recorded music of Marty Robbins and Hank Snow and Don Williams, and uh, they had uh, cowboys making campfire coffee, and it was it was just <laughs> and it got, guys, this is bizarre. This I is hope there were Johnny cakes and whatnot too. Like I can't uh, yeah, apple it pie. Was, it was yeah apple pie. People showing up in '66 Cadillac convertibles and. <laughs> It, it was just amazing. it was just almost a surreal situation. Wow. And Route 66 has come to symbolize the, the ultimate the, the quintessential American experience. It represents freedom. Uh, the fellow who puts together the Czech festival, I heard him speak in Anaheim about growing up in a communist country and how Route 66 came to symbolize what the Statue of Liberty did to another generation. Wow. And it was really pretty impressive. But these events uh Zenik, who's organizing this event, he does an American festival every year in Slovakia and attracts about twenty to 30,000 people. So th- this event, they're, they're expecting a pretty good turnout. Maybe you can confirm this. When I first moved here, someone told me, I have no idea who it was, that it, it was, Route 66 was becoming much more popular in Europe because the the show was getting syndicated or had, had become syndicated in the in Europe, the, route, the black and white Route 66 show. <laughs> And that really woke people up a little bit more in Europe a number of years ago, and that had a lot to do with it, this person thought, anyway. Well, that's that all part of it. Route 66, like, say, from its inception, has always had the best press and publicity. Mm-hmm. And it's come to symbolize the quintessential American road trip, the experience. Absolutely. Kerouac it's, mentions it, like, yeah. three times and on the road. It's, it's definitely in Grapes of Wrath. It, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. Just those, just those two being required reading in Western civilization well, yeah, in you, high school. You've got that. Enough. You've got the television program. The song Route sixty six, one of the most recorded songs in history. Everybody has recorded that song from Perry Como to the Rolling Stones. Uh, and uh, I just read up on that when I was doing my research earlier today. Uh, the one that really blew me away was the uh, oh, the Clash did a cover. No kidding. Right, yeah, at like every show on one whole world tour, like at an eighteen-month-long tour, so like two or three wow. times a week they were playing that, and like that's in Depeche Mode of, of all of of all <laughs> bands on earth. A look at the video a, that they did. Depeche Mode. Yes, I'm. I'm gonna have to look it up. I, now it was, I want to listen to all of these versions. In, some of it's filmed in Kingman and Seligman. Uh, I will be damned. Oh no man, kidding. I need to find that. Okay, oh, I did not yes. know that. Yeah, that's really neat. It's become Route 66 has become uh, a, a living, breathing time capsule. It's a, a theme park. It's uh, it's really astounding. Like I mentioned before, we've got tour companies from all over the world now that specialize in Route 66 tours. Uh, but it's the song Route 66, you haven't lived until you've heard a Polish polka band play it on accordion. Now that's really different. <laughs> yeah. Was it in Polish? Yes, it or was. They, okay. If you recognize, of course, you recognize the tune, and you go, "Okay." It sounded better yeah. on the third beer. <laughs> I bet. Have you heard any on the on the bagpipes? Anybody who done it? Yes. The- okay. <laughs> yes, there's a guy that. Did- yes, there's a fellow who's done it on the bagpipes, but uh, it's it's the road of dreams. I mentioned that Japanese fellow running the road. There was a group of people with pre 1916 motorcycles uh, traveling the road. Well, there was a Japanese fellow rollerblading Route 66. <laughs> Uh, I, I was out here when I was leaving the industrial park middle of the day and 
few summers ago, and there was a guy on a unicycle, yeah. and he was doing the whole thing on a unicycle. One of my favorite stories, and I'm not imaginative enough to make this up, a French mime was trying to set a stilt walking record, six-foot stilts walking Route 66 from end to end. He made it to Oklahoma before he had a heat stroke. And in, in, in my dark sense of humor, all I could think of is, how does a French mime call for help in Oklahoma? Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is... I can't even imagine. I, like you said, you can't really make that up. That... No. But Route 66 now, a lot of people don't realize it's even a road. It's the, the shield, the symbol, has probably surpassed Coca-Cola for recognizable. Mm-hmm. You know, a marketing brand. Mm-hmm. I was in Worms, Germany, and the mall from one end to the other was a mural of Route 66. Uh, I was in uh, uh, Dittelsheim, uh, Germany, and a little farming town. And here's a, a, a tool shed a little sh- for lawnmowers and tractors lined with Route 66 shields. Uh, there's wow. a fellow I know that owns an electronics company. He has uh, uh, eight company cars. And uh, each one has a custom Route 66 license plate for each of the eight states that it, that it goes and that, through. And where is that? The elect- Germany. In Germany. Yeah. So it, wow. it takes someone like you who is an ambassador to go out and see all this stuff because, and I haven't been here that many years. Joe's been here a lot longer, but you... We don't really appreciate it, of course. We, we're gonna when you leave here, you're gonna be driving on it. We're, we're part of it every day, so we sure. don't. It's in front of us, so we don't recognize the oh. significance. We know it's there. It's big, the song. But then when you go see these kind of things around the world, it it's it probably blows you away. Still, you're like, this well, is- I think about it. People from Norway, Brazil, Australia. Come to Kingman, Arizona in the summer on purpose because <laughs> because of Route 66. It's it's just it's mind-boggling. And for me, it was always just a road. I mean, mm-hmm. I grew up on the road. My my mom said I was born 90 and I never got any older. I've always had old cars, old trucks, and I like the simple things. And my folks tease me that I was potty trained on Route 66, and I've just you know I've traveled the road. Uh, first time was 1959, and. Uh, it's just been a part of my life, but uh, it's it's just astounding. I never thought growing up on Oatman Road that the highway would take me to Czechoslovakia or Brazil yeah. or friendships, literally all over the world. Yeah. It's it's uh, and it becomes that's another aspect of the road that's fascinating. It becomes a family reunion. What you saw when we did the European Route 66 tour here, it literally becomes a family reunion, and it's it's just it's just mind-boggling. And it's all positive stuff. It's all happy. It's all forward-thinking or whatever. Not forward, well, but just what it's it's also the cross memories too. Electric yeah. vehicles. They're, yes. they're putting in charging stations up and down the road now. Uh, we got the electric vehicle museum, of course, here in Kingman. But uh, it's it's not just antiquated things. It's it's also the future. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think that it's really neat if we could get the uh, the electric car museum going. I mean, I think of that too of how fantastic that would be to be on. 66 the history of the road but also this is that's where everything's going is electric automobiles well, and that would be fantastic to have that represented with some future industry perhaps even geared around that eventually atlanta illinois just recently did an all-electric vehicle cruise in what happens if we had the electric uh, you know really push the electric vehicle museum and did a route 66 uh from chicago and la coming together in kingman would be that would be that would be quite something really cool tied in with conferences we we, we do kingman is in the center of the longest unbroken stretch is that true of 66 or not yeah pretty much it's uh it's about 158 and three quarter miles i call it 160 miles of smiles because 158 and three quarters just doesn't and it doesn't rhyme that's not marketable no Uh, other states oklahoma has more of route 66 but but it's broken by the Mm -hmm. interstate 
But uh, Illinois has done a tremendous job with selling Route 66. It's now one of the top tourism attractions in the entire state of Illinois. Wow. I'm just thinking about all the different attractions in Illinois that I've been to, and there's only like three. (laughs) So, yeah, that's... I love I I love this old stuff. I and I love history. I'm a huge history buff, and I know that you know so much about this town. And I just want to go on. I would I, I would love to have you back on where we just sure. talk about just the history of the area because I've done I've got my own little research projects that I've done here and there where I get bored and I you know I have several hours in an afternoon to kill and then I just start reading up on things because it's fascinating and I love the like the it it seems like every little town has this little history and here our history is kind of tied to it's tied to the railroad it's tied to the the failed uh camel experiment mm-hmm. you know from the u.s army corps and then and so on and so forth and you and and like you said and the uh, airfield Paul, and the air, you have the yeah. airfield and 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 all of it but with, with route 66 like you said it's mixing a lot of old with a bunch of new and looking to the future, and I just I, I absolutely can, love it. Can you list some of the more to talk about some of the things you're actually working on? You, you're going to go into Europe, and that's coming up in August. You said, but is it's your your book and other events that you know are on the docket coming you, up this you, year? Yeah, you had mentioned the uh, oh the the old f- trails uh, yeah old the record, federal is, government uh, thing. Is is it, yeah, it, uh, uh, I just got another email just two two minutes ago. Uh, back in 2013, the National Park Service Route 66 Corridor Preservation Program and World Monuments Fund came together, and they facilitated creation of the Route 66 the Road Ahead Partnership, which is now incorporated in Illinois as a nonprofit. And uh, I serve on the Economic Development Committee for that organization, and that's one reason when I was in Europe, I helped facilitate for that organization the creation of the Route 66 International Advisory Council. Uh, we started putting together a project about two years ago to have Route 66 designated a National Historic Trail. And uh, about 10 days ago, it made it through Congress with approval, and now it goes to the Senate. Now, what is that? What benefit will the road have, or what what benefits happen as a result of it? Well, a multitude of things open up at that point. Uh, For one, signage is a huge problem on Route 66 right now. Each state does it if they feel like it or how they feel like it. And uh, one of the major complaints for people traveling Route 66 is trying to find Route 66. Because, face it, the most famous highway in the world doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's true. Officially. So that, that, that comes up. A lot, of, a lot of the big projects, grassroots is key to a lot of this. But uh, some of the projects are going to take something much, much bigger than what grassroots can do. Right now we're fighting with the um, state of Missouri. We're going to lose the Gasconade River Bridge. And the bridges on Route 66 add a unique idiosyncratic nature to the road. They add that time capsule feel, those old girder bridges. Mm-hmm. Uh, about 98% of the bridges on Route 66 are scheduled for demolition or replacement. Mm. And, uh, you know, it just, it's... Is that, I mean, it's going to happen. You can't really preserve them, I suppose, and still use them. You can't. Like, There's a okay. multitude of things that can be done. And uh, the Lake Overholzer Bridge in Oklahoma, they preserved it to connect two parks. They, they used the post-54 uh, alignment, the four-lane highway, for the modern traffic, and they, they kept the old bridge. 
Uh, now that the Adventure Cycling Association has designated Route 66 a bicycle corridor. Oh, no kidding. The br- oh, so wow. the bridges are perfect to keep, okay. keep that continuity going. If you can't preserve them for highway bridges, That's true. How, how about for bicycle bridges? Yeah, like sort of connecting these parks, like you said. Well, just well to- a gr- uh, we've, there's a, a great example where they've done that successfully, and one where they failed miserably is in Missouri. Uh, the Chain of Rocks Bridge that spans the Mississippi River uh, north of St. Louis uh, Illinois has a tremendous trail system, and then uh, Missouri has a great trail system, trail net. Mm-hmm. They've taken mostly rail beds and converted them into bicycle trails. Well, using the Chain of Rocks Bridge, they connected both states' trail systems. Meanwhile, just a little bit to the south, Route 66 State Park on the Merrimack River, they had a beautiful bridge. The, the, it's, a real, uh, it's a great story about uh, land reclamation. Uh, they had a dioxin contamination there, and the entire town was bought out, leveled. The soil had to be cleaned and everything, and they, they restored it as a beautiful wildlife habitat. And connecting both sides of the park was this beautiful bridge. Well, the state of Missouri just deemed it a liability. So they left the structure in place, but they took all the decking out. Okay. Well, now attendance at the park has plummeted because if you attend this side of the park where the visitor center is, you want to go to the other side, it's a 35-mile drive. Oh, God. That's nice. That that is a miserable failure right there because yeah. it, you. All right, so so this federal put decking in, yeah, yeah. Really, this federal what what it's not going to be a law, obviously. What is it, what is it going to be? It's going to be a it's uh, act, act. Yeah, act. it's it was, they when did, they say it takes an act of Congress. <laughs> there we go. Here we yeah. go. It's it, they did it for the Oregon Trail. They've done it for a lot of the highways, okay. and it pr- pr- provides a certain amount of protection, like a protection and some cohesiveness, maybe, and some signage, like you were saying. Cohesiveness is crucial okay. right now. Because we've never been able to recreate the old U.S. Highway 66 Association, which was basically a chamber of commerce for the Route 66 community. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what the idea behind that Road Ahead partnership has been. Uh, 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 That that festival we had here in Kingman, when Kingman decided not to continue holding that festival every year, Illinois picked up on it. Mm -hmm. And they have the Miles of Possibility Conference every year now, which is a, a huge planning and networking session. Fantastic. So, so you've got that, and there's any other big things that's on your schedule? I know you, your schedule's full. I, I know how hard it is to get a hold of you and, and make things like this happen. So other, other groups that you're going to be working with from other parts of the world anytime soon coming well, around? Yeah, we, and, we, we've got uh, the Texas Welcomes the World Festival. Steve and I will probably be there uh, to represent uh, uh, his new initiative, kingmantourism.com and okay. Jim Hinckley's America. Texas Welcomes the World Route 66 International Festival is Shamrock, Texas, in July. Okay. Uh, I'm supposed to speak at the Miles of Possibility Conference in October. Uh, I'll be at Cuba Fest in October. And like I said, I've just started working now with Cuba, Missouri Tourism okay. and uh, working in that community. And then I've got some other things like uh, this year, the Los Angeles County Fair, the theme for the fair is Route 66. <laughs> And, oh, wow. uh, nice. Depending, that's cool. Depending on funding and such, such whatnot. You're going to you're gonna have to drive through Los Angeles again? You're going to have to, that's what's going to happen? De- depending <laughs> on funding, uh, I'm supposed to speak there at okay. the Los Angeles Fair. Well, good. That would be wonderful. And uh, there's some other big events. The Birthplace of Route 66 Festival, Springfield, Missouri, is another another big event. When, when is that, then? Uh, that'll be in August as well. Okay. Are you going to be I mean, you're gonna be in Europe then, but you're going to be I'll not? Be, I could do both, back. possibly, okay. yeah. Good Lord. This man's busy. I'm tired. I'm tired of listening at it. Just, just thinking about your need schedule. Some, need some coffee. Like, oh, well, it's, it, I've got a lot of incentive. I, I like to help people have a good trip. Mm-hmm. I, I really want to see communities 
like Kingman and Cuba, prosper and do well. Mm -hmm. And the the biggest reason of all is a little selfish. I'm I'm used to eating every day, and I want to continue that. And my wife is quite (laughs) partial to electricity and hot water, so we want to keep that. (laughs) Got to keep her happy as well. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, I keep I, October sixth open. That's a little plug for here. Our little air fest is going to be going on here in Cayman. So October sixth. Yeah, try to keep that one. Uh, yeah, we'll get the word out. See if we can drag some people. We're on sixty six right here. The, yeah. the, air, the airfield industrial park is right here. That's a big one. Bring some other international folks during that time. It'd be right? great if we could get that airfield museum back up and going. There needs to be. Uh, yeah, that's a best topic right there. That's a big topic. This is a real big topic. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that. But, yeah, thank you so much want, for coming out. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Yeah, thank and, you, Jim. Uh, I appreciate it. Is there anything else you want to add? Anything, any closing statements, remarks? No, just see, see everybody on the road. Try to keep all four wheels on the road. That's a Enjoy the trip. Sound, sound advice. I like that. Anything else, Joe? No, that's all I got. Well, thanks again, Jim. And, you uh, bet, guys. All right. Thank you very much. Let's get out of here. You guys have a good night. Thank mm-hmm. you.